Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Hello from me, Mark Woods. Welcome to the MVP cast. Thank you for downloading the podcast as ever. Lots of news on our social channels. Of course, if you want to keep in touch with that, head to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and search for MVP 24-7. Now, I guess in this edition, one of the speediest point guards in all of the BBL. He can get quite red hot at times. He plays for the Surrey Scorchers. He is Kaelin Raftopoulos and welcome to the podcast, Kaelin. Thanks, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I would say, how are you guys doing? But, you know, bottom of the league. <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough full season. Lots of injuries. You're in the thick of it. How has it felt for you? Uh, tough, to say the least. Um, obviously, we had high expectations coming into this season. I think on paper, uh, going into the season, we liked what we had. Um, but yeah, like you said, just from the get-go, we were struck with the injuries um, and it's just been one thing after another. So trying to find that momentum has, has been really hard. Um, I think this week just gone against Glasgow was the first time we actually had the full roster and we're 18 games in or 16 games into the regular season. So that just tells you all you need to know about how the season's gone for us how do you stay positive and connected and obviously you've had lineup changes coming in and out but as as a group and as a as a program how do you try and find some light among amid the dark uh well you know first thing is we take every game um as it comes so one game at a time and you know, it's tough when you're losing, but we just have that next game mentality. You know, we've got, we've got to come in the next week into practice and try fix the wrongs as best we can and just obviously have that positivity going into the next game. There's no point in going into games defeated or else you'll have no chance. Um, and I think for us, like, we have been competitive. There has been the odd games where, you know, they've been blowouts, but for the most part, we're right there. So that's a plus for us, and we 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 take that into the next game, knowing that we can compete. Um, but like you said, constant lineup changes it's, it, it makes it difficult because there's no sort of fixed rotation like most pro clubs have, where you guys know when they're coming in and what they have to do, um, which made that even harder for us. You know, it's like one game you're starting, next game you're coming off the bench. Uh, for me especially I've been a role player my majority of my BBL career and uh, to start off this year I was playing up up to 30 35 minutes a game which I've never done so that was like new to me and my body's like taken a complete hit because of that I'm used to you know 15 minutes 20 minutes at best just playing my role so it's it's been super difficult um, we've had to make those adjustments as we go and you know um, thankfully the sorry Scorchers fans have, have backed us and they've been there throughout the way and I'm just glad we could reward them with a with a win um, this week just gone What's the dynamic with you and dad Coach Creon because you know you experience him as coach you experience him 
off the court, you know, it's 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 a tough gig when you're coaching a team that's not winning. Do, do you yeah. do you take on a special kind of responsibility in terms of supporting him as much as he supports you? Because you know, it's a it's a twenty four seven relationship. It's not just practice and game time. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially this year, I think this has been like the most difficult year. And obviously, as I've got older, um, our relationship in terms of you know like playing and him being the coach we've we've got a lot closer you know younger I was a bit hot hot headed because he was my dad and I'd be upset that I didn't get a certain amount of minutes but um as time's gone on I've become more of a sort of assistant coach because unfortunately for him um the way things are down yeah he's never had a assistant coach who he can talk to regularly and get an opinion which is one thing people don't factor in um he's got to do 101 things other than just coach a basketball game um so you know i've tried to support him um i i obviously see all the stuff on social media and stuff um he doesn't because he's not on social so but people call him and tell him about those things and it's it's not nice to hear um so, you know, I try to stay as positive as possible and, you know, keep him going, um, reassure him, you know, like we're trying to do all we can to help him pick up those wins. Um, you know, there there has been conversations with me and him where I ask him the question, like, why do you put yourself through this? Because at times, you know, uh, as I've got older, I see the situation he's in and he's not really put in a position to be successful. But because of his love for the game, because of his love for Surrey, he takes on that burden and he tries and work with what he has and um, tries to, you know, bring success to the club. Um, So, you know, I I really look up to him for that, for for doing that and persisting. like I said, now that I'm older, like I see his resources and what he has compared to what other clubs have. And there's no way I'd ever step into those shoes and take on the role of being head coach with what he has at his disposal. Um, so, you know, I commend him, not just because he's my dad. If it was any other head coach, I'd commend them for, for doing um, what he's doing right now. But he's not just any other head coach. And you mentioned that evolution of the relationship from being a yeah a bit more as you said hot headed when you were younger to now. But how yeah. do you how do you find that separation? You know, particularly if you know it's a game time or it's a tough game or maybe there's that moment where you think you're playing well and he pulls you out of the game or you know he has to admonish you if you've you know made a turnover or not want to play or whatever. I mean, how how do you guys work on? keeping that separation so at the end of the end of the night when the lights go off you're still father and son and still mates uh i think now like the maturity in me like i said and uh since i've started coaching i realize you know how difficult it is making uh split second decisions like on the go during the game um so i can sympathize with him that way um and also you know like if there is a moment where you know i don't agree with something you know we've got teo who's been around that he's like a brother to me and uh if he sees i'm about to you know get into it with my dad he'll quickly step in so that that father-son barrier is not crossed on the court 
Um, so, you know, there is times where we get into it, but we get along so well that it just takes a little conversation, maybe not in the heat of the moment, but after, and then we're good. We can talk it out. We can hash it out. He's open to hearing what I have to say, and I obviously am open to hearing what his decision-making is based off. Um, so, yeah, I think it's the relationship has only got stronger um, as as we've got on compared to, you know, my first year playing for him to now six years later. I mean, that influence he's had in your life, I mean, it's obviously, as a father, it starts at day zero. But when he was on the podcast um, a few years ago, probably now, he talked about, in fact, obviously, born in Zimbabwe, you were born there as well. You and the family all moved here when you were age nine. And you know, he said you know, the reason behind that, obviously, Zimbabwe, you know, an unstable country at, at times, and the big factor was giving you opportunities when, he, when you would grow up to have a better life have different openings in life how how much were you aware of that shift as a nine-year-old you know coming to this country which you know quite different um at the time uh, i obviously had no idea why we were moving here as a family because to me like we lived a pretty good life in zimbabwe so Mm. um there was no reason for us to be like moving halfway across the world. Um, but obviously as I've got older, I've realized and I'm so grateful to my parents for for doing that and giving me the opportunity to um, have so many avenues to try and go down. Uh, whereas like in Zimbabwe, I wouldn't have had these avenues because from a young age, I've always been a sportsman and not just basketball. Like I played football at a high level. I played tennis, I played cricket, I played golf. Um, so um, by me coming over here, I just got the opportunity to be exposed to all of these sports at a higher level. And um, like I said, I'm just grateful to my parents for giving me that opportunity because who knows um, what I would have ended up doing if we just stayed in Zimbabwe. How do you stay connected back to the homeland? Because you've still got family there. I mean, do you, you're a child of two worlds now, obviously, but what's, what's the connection like? Um, you know, it's, it, it was difficult. Um, you know, I, I lost, I've lost three of my grandparents and they were obviously all in Zimbabwe. So, you know, um, I did miss a lot of time with them and currently I've got my grandmother's the only person left in Zimbabwe and communicating all over the phone is all we do and then I get to see her maybe once every couple of years um fortunately for us like my aunts my uncles and stuff are all uh UK based um so I get to see them regularly um but yeah, it was it was tough not being able to see my growing up, you know, as a young kid, um, not being able to see my grandparents uh, regularly when, you know, my first nine years in Zimbabwe, I was with them every other day. Um, so that was one of the, the biggest things that I had to um, sort of get used to when we moved to England was like being away from them and not having them uh, there. Um, I feel, feel that 
that helped me grow up a lot quicker as well. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Um, and now I'm, I probably see myself as, you know, fully British because I've been, I've left Zimbabwe. Like I've been in England 20 years now. Um, so yeah, Zimbabwe is kind of in the back burner now. Um, the first place that the clan moved to was Teesside. Um, yeah. with, the, with the Mohawks and the question I've always wanted to ask you what's Kieran Achara like as a babysitter? <laughs> I, he was actually a, a, a good old babysitter you know uh, he was cool um, you know like I, I enjoyed hanging out with the guys they were fun they were young you know so for me I looked up to those guys Kieran uh, especially you know um so it was always fun hanging out with them. They would let me do whatever I wanted to do. So I'm never going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, um, I mean, has that always been that love affair with basketball? And you said like when you're younger, you tried all those sports, but you know, coming up as a teenager, you tend to pick one you clearly chose. You know, sometimes you don't want to do what your dad did, but was it an yeah. obvious choice? Uh, yeah, just, ability um you know like when i was growing up like people always used to ask me um like peers always used to ask me like oh like what did you do to like get your handle like that or what did you do to get your shot like that and the truth of the matter is like i didn't really do anything extra um i was just gifted with this god-given talent um and naturally you know from watching the game and being around the game because my dad played and then coached and I was around it 24-7 um I was just fortunate enough to you know get these skills and um that just made my decision a lot easier as well as me obviously loving the game um I had a natural ability and it was a no-brainer really to just pursue a basketball career I mean you were very highly ranked in this country. I mean, you were, you know, a talented team. People knew about you. In a sense, you're, you're big fish in small pond. Then you went to the States. You went to a couple yeah. of high schools there in Florida and Illinois. But yeah, was that a transition to, you know, to being the small fish in this ocean of hoop stars, you know, with, you know, because everywhere has them in the States? Uh, absolutely. Uh, that was kind of big eye opener for me it was it was tough especially my first year I went to Arlington Country Day in Jackson, Jacksonville Florida which is like a a basketball breeding ground um, I wouldn't even call it a high school it was literally a basketball breeding ground I think uh, we had uh, 30 student athletes who were all basketball players at the school um, and out of those 30 I would say 25 of us were from outside of Florida so that just shows you they recruited specifically for for basketball um, and then for me obviously coming from England where I was playing 30-35 minutes a game I was the guy on my team uh, used to playing week in week out to go in there and be in the third string point guard um, it was tough for me um, and it was the first time where I 
actually realized how important it is to be putting in that extra work those extra hours in order to get better and um you know make a case for myself to get that opportunity to play there how did you find the actual learning experience particularly as i know you there was an eligibility issue which has sort of yeah. messed up the college opportunity but did did you find that some do that you improved improved lots or did you find it was a mixed bag um i my my year in florida without a doubt i think that year i probably improved the most i've ever improved even though i wasn't playing the minutes that i wanted to play um I was going up against high competition, high D1 level competition. So um, I was third string and the two point guards ahead of me um, was uh, Gary Brown, a Puerto Rican international right now who played at West Virginia, high major division one. Um, and Ian Miller, who was a high division one player, New Mexico State and played a couple years um, in the G League for the LA Lakers affiliate. So, you know, going up against those two guys every single day um, just helped me immensely as a player. Uh, obviously, being a 17, 18-year-old, I wanted to be playing come uh, game day. But, you know, the training helped me more than ever. Was not getting to college, and you can probably explain the eligibility issue but how much was that a frustration i mean do you think that was that something that you gave up on immediately or what was the what was the aspiration after that uh it was super frustrating for me like obviously you know after the year i had in florida the plan was for me to go back to that to arlington country day um to do my senior year but having not played I wanted the opportunity to go to a league where you know I was going to be able to stand out and I was going to be getting regular minutes so um, we decided we had some family friends in Illinois and they had offered to take me in um, so it was a no-brainer I ended up going to a Catholic school in Belleville Illinois um, and two days before the regular season was supposed to start, I get called into the principal's office and the IHSA um, had ruled me ineligible um, because of my transfer. So I guess, you know, other schools had complained and said that I was recruited specifically for, for basketball, which wasn't the case. We just had family friends there who had recommended I go to the school. Um, I had no contact with the school coaches or anything, so they didn't know what kind of player they were getting. Um, I had to go to varsity tryouts and stuff at the school. Um, that's how little they knew about me. <laughs> um, so, obviously, we appealed that uh, three times. We appealed it. I did everything. Um, obviously, being in Illinois, um, I got in touch with Luol Deng, asked if Luol could write a letter to the high school <laughs> committee we, we we literally did everything we could to try and get me on the court and um they just were not budging um so for me it was super demoralizing and um like i never out of my mind 
Um, but obviously, the goal going to the States was D1. Um, then not being eligible, those offers weren't coming. Uh, so I went on a few visits. I went to a couple D2s in the Illinois area. I went to a couple NIAs. Um, but in the end, I was just so demoralized. I just wanted to come home because um, I had, in my mind, I, I felt like I'd failed. Like I was only going there and it was like D1 or bus. So um, it was tough for me. I just ended up coming back and I was on the verge of literally quitting playing basketball. What stopped you? Uh, well, fortunate enough, my dad was head coach of, <laughs> of, of Surrey Heat. So when I did come back, the plan was for me to just take a gap year before um, going to uni, potentially. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. My parents knew I'd been through a tough year not being able to play, so... Um, we agreed I was going to take a gap year to kind of find myself and find what I wanted to do. Um, and they had low numbers, you know, typical thing in the BBL. They didn't have enough numbers for training. So my dad was like, you know, what, uh, I need I need a body, like, just come to training. Um, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll come to training. Uh, one training turned into every day of the week then the season was coming up and some of the guys on the team uh, particularly Albert Margai at the time I got close with Albert and Albert's like why don't you just sign and just play and I'm like nah I don't want to play my dad won't sign me like you're being silly um, and we had Julius Joseph on the team as well at that time he was the the captain and the vet at that time and then JJ spoke to me because I was doing well in practice and they convinced me to to sign, and then the rest is history. Ten years later, I'm still playing in the BPL. With you, with your career though, I mean, you went to Worcester for a while because you went to uni there. Um, yeah. And I guess I mean the thing that was interesting is that you know, while there, you became the coach of their second team. And yeah. I wonder if, if did that feel like for you the natural fit. To, to jump into that kind of rule, having seen your dad coach and obviously learned the ups and downs of what this is like and the mechanics of it, but also the, I guess, the stresses and strains that go with it. Was it, was it an easy decision to go, yeah, I'll take that gig? Uh, it was tough, to be honest. A lot of people don't know the like background and reasoning as to why I did that, but... Um... Obviously, I went to Worcester off the back of a successful season of Surrey Heat. Um, my first season at Worcester, we won the, the BBL trophy and playoffs, and we won the Bucks championships with the uni team, of which I was like an integral part of uh, the uni team. And then I contributed, and you know, to the BBL team, I was backing up Zaya Taylor, who was MVP that season. Um, and so it was a no-brainer for me going back into my second year, you know, and I was looking forward to going back and playing a little bit of a bigger role with the BBL team, um, of which didn't happen for whatever reason. I just fell out of favour in the rotation. Um, so that w second year was a, was a tough year for me. 
um, not being in the rotation. Um, so going into my third year, we had no coach for the Division Two team. And um, everyone kind of looked at me because I was like the most experienced guy mm -hmm. and people thought I'd be capable of taking on that role. And I didn't think that of myself, but they were actually coming to me and telling me, no, nah, like, you can you can do it. Like, you can be a player coach. And at this point, I'm like 21 years old. I'm like, are you guys having a laugh? Like, <laughs> I'm not about to play and coach. Um, after a few conversations, you know, with like PJ and uh, Mick Donovan at the time, um, I just decided, you know what, like I'm not really happy right now traveling up and down with the BBL team and not playing as much as I'd want to. So why not take on this opportunity? I was doing a sports coaching degree anyway. I'm like, you know what, this goes alongside my degree. Let me just give it a go. And, you know, um, I just rolled with it from there. Um, and it shaped me into being the coach I am today. I was thrown into the deep end and I think I handled it like pretty well and I kind of fell in love with coaching from then. And you're still doing it. I mean, now, I guess, I don't want to call it a day job, but it's kind of the day job. It's, you know, your head coach oh, at the, it, the Scorchers Academy. The, it definitely is the day job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, people, people don't know that. Like, well, many people don't know that. They think, you know, I just rock up and, like playing is my full-time job but that's actually my my second job is is playing for the bbl team my priority is you know the academy um i'm there every day of the week um and i'm trying to build it up you know at the at the moment we're in the abl which is the second um tier of college basketball in the country and we're trying to you know become an elite academy and uh join the eabl um so, you know, my focus is on that and helping develop the young players. Uh, I think, you know, we I didn't have that sort of opportunity when I was their age. Um, there was no, no academies back then. Um, so, you know, the vision is, you know, to, to build it up in Surrey and, you know, be competing with the likes of Barking Abbey, Myers Cove, uh, your Itchens of the world. Um, and uh, I got a real desire to do so i mean that's the vision day to day I mean, you're talking about the goals of you know building it up what is yeah. what is that involved and what what's the kind of steps that get you to be surrey's answer to barking abbey i mean at the at the moment i'm not gonna lie it's been tough um having to balance the playing and then focusing on that but you know i think ultimately uh truth of the matter is if we want to get to that stage i'm gonna have to go into a full-time role at the academy and stop playing um just because you know i've got to be able to recruit we've got to have accommodation in place um you've got to go after kids and bring in elite kids that are able to contribute regularly on the BBL level, you know? Um, so, you know, I might be going into retirement, who knows, but, you know, I want to grow it and 
in order to grow it, I've got to be full time. I've got to be able to go to under eighteen, under sixteen games and see the what talents out there, and you know try and persuade them that this will be a, a good fit for them. You know, I back my coaching. I think we've got a good program. Um, you know, we've we've had the likes of you know uh, Ryan Gannicliffe this year, who I think has shown. Um, what he he's learnt with us, he averaged I think he's averaged thirty five in the ABL, and when he's stepped into the BBL, he's held his own um, as as a backup point guard and shooting guard. So if more kids can see that, they can see that opportunity is here for them. So put it on the line here: is this the last yeah. season? At the moment, it's 70-30, you know, like, I've been saying I'm going to stop playing for, like, the last three seasons, but then, <laughs> uh, la- well, last year I said was my last year, but it was a COVID year, so I was like, there's no way I can go out on the COVID year, and then I came into this season, I'm like, this is my last year, but it's been abysmal, so I'm like, how can I go out on this season? Um, I'm hoping... You know, mathematically, season's not done. So I'm very optimistic. I'm going to hope we can turn this season around and I can go out on a high. Um, but we'll see. At the moment, it's 70-30, um, 70 towards calling it a day and just focusing all my energy and time on the academy. Yeah, big job. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, talking of big jobs... You have been very open about mental health. And you know, there was a time in your life when you know, we can use the D word, you, you were going through depression and yep. things got very rough. Um, take us back to the origin. I mean, there's so many reasons these things happen. It's not a, a simple linear equation to get there. But how did it happen? When did it happen? What was it like? Um, yeah, it was tough and it was obviously unusual for me. It's not something you expect to happen to you. Like um, It happened when my year when I was at Solent, um, Kestrels, just after my year, at, uh, my three years at Worcester. Um, and I just found it tough. I was commuting from Surrey and I would spend every day an hour on the train going there to my, my lectures and then uh, you know how uh, EBL1 is, we were training 8 till 10 in the evening and then I'd have to get out, train back to Surrey and then be back in the morning for lectures. Um, so it was just mentally draining for me and sitting on the train all them times, I just had so many thoughts going through my head and, you know, I didn't realize how much I was affected by not being able to stay in the States and being ineligible that year. And in that time as well, I'd also lost three of my grandparents. And all of that just kind of all hit me at once because I'd not grieved properly. I'd not dealt with not achieving my goals that I'd set out to achieve. And I'd never spoken to anyone about it. Um, I was always, you know, it was there in my mind. I was, you know, I would think about it, but I always thought, you know, if I opened up about it, people would 
think I'm crazy or judge me because I'm this, you know, I'm still a basketball player. I'm doing what I love. Um, I'm a happy guy, you know. So I was afraid to speak about it. And that was the biggest mistake that I ever made because it just all hit me at once. Um, and I spent weeks in my bedroom. Like, I, I, it was the first time in my life where I was actually calling... Uh, Matt Guyman was my coach at the time at Solon and I was missing training and games um, because I just mentally wasn't right and I, my parents didn't know at the time either I would just kept on saying like you know I'm not well and I'll be in my bedroom but in the reality I, and I didn't know it was depression at the time like I just thought you know I'm going through a patch where I'm just not happy maybe the traveling is getting to me um, but week after week I was just in my bedroom and then I realized well like I need help um so yeah I would say like anyone going through anything when you feel something's not right like definitely speak up and speak to someone um because you want to nip that in the bud as early as possible because there is that thing with us as men you know we don't we don't like to go public with our feelings and we kind of like to keep things to ourselves and you know you feel like you should be self-reliant you know you need to be the man or the man of the house or whatever you want to manifest that i mean especially in the sporting climate though there is that i don't want to use the word macho but it's kind of like that where you know people expect you to be strong you know physically and mentally i mean did that add to it being within that environment where it's it is probably tougher to speak up absolutely um it's like you said it is that macho thing and thankfully you know uh over over the last couple of years um it's become acceptable um and people are speaking out more you know um when i first came out with it um on my social media and i i opened up about it i was so surprised at the messages that I received from other basketball players who like were thanking me for speaking up and saying you know they've gone through the same thing silently because like you said we're mo- we were afraid to speak up and be judged by other players and you know people around us um so there's a lot of people that go through it and um I, the best thing I ever did was just speak out on it and get the help that I needed. And now I'm, you know, in a great place and I'm thriving um, within my career and what I do uh, because of it. I mean, it is. I mean, you mentioned getting help early and that intervention and you know, recognizing the pathway. I mean, you, you said about social media using that. I mean, yeah. Was that the first place you put this on the open, or did you? Did the point come where you? find someone to talk to or, or felt that you know i need to get professional help content help whatever sort of help um it, i had spoken to a mentor first before going uh like onto socials with it um and after going on socials with it i actually took a break from socials um i've got like a new instagram and stuff now i just completely you know 
got rid of the old Instagram because I wasn't using it in the right way. Like, um, I was playing up to, you know, giving off the perception of being a professional athlete and that everything's all good 24-7 when, you know, that wasn't the case. Um, and wanting to do things to please other people. Mm. And from getting the professional help, like, I learned, you know, to focus on myself and not worry about what other people think um, and just doing me, really, and making myself happy. Um, so, you know, social can be the biggest down... Social media can be the biggest downfall of a lot of people because they feel like they've got to play up to a certain perception of um, being an athlete or, or something and it's really it's really not the case you you just gotta you know do what's best for yourself and not worry about what other people think did you find that reassurance though from having that comeback from other people i mean social can be can be a horrible place at times but it can be also a very kind place i mean do you, oh, yeah. do you get that reassurance that suddenly other people are sharing their stories sharing their experiences and, and you can you know, although you still have to deal with what you're dealing with, you realise you're not alone or unique in this. Absolutely. It was definitely uplifting, like I said, especially hearing from other basketball players who, you know, I'd played against. I wasn't necessarily close with them, um, but they reached out and just hearing it from them to, you know, say, you know, they, they've been through that and, you know, if I ever need to talk or whatever, they're they're, they're for me so it was definitely uplifting and an eye-opener to me um uh just to accept you know i'm not the only one going through that um because for a long time i was ashamed and i was scared to speak up because of that i was like i shouldn't be feeling like this and little did i know there's other people in the same position of me feeling the same way um so yeah it was definitely uplifting getting the messages from other guys and stuff about their struggles i mean it's like public information here but obviously anyone else feeling like this can through this I and mean, there is help out there if you look at samaritans.org one place lots of online self-help tools um or you can also call them for free 24 7 on 116 123 um within the bbl support bbl supports is the scheme trying you know the leader trying to be better at giving players help and you know know, accessing programs or guidance or whatever and i think the perception has been it's not quite all guns blazing yet but what would you like to see within this new upgraded world of british basketball that i guess helps players when they need it i think uh they definitely are taking a step in the right direction because before there was none of uh, there was no access to any of this. And I think uh, Kieran Achara has come in and he's put a big focus on this. And I'd like to see it, you know, grow from strength to strength, like giving players the opportunity to see that there's accessibility to not just, you know, stuff about uh, mental health, but also uh, managing your finances and life after basketball uh, because at the end of the day, we're not all going. We're not going to be playing forever, um, and I think what Kieran is putting forward is is great for everyone. 
Um, and I would just like to see it go from strength to strength because um, it's definitely something that has opened my eyes this year because, you know, before we had no nowhere to look or no one to talk to about what it is people are going to do after basketball. Um, so as a league, seeing that they're, they're making these changes um, is is definitely um, a step in the right direction. Let's, um, let's let you out of here on a bit more cheery note. So I'll ask you our big yeah. three philosophical questions here. <laughs> if you could trade places with anybody, anytime, anywhere, who would, for one day, who would you trade places with? Ooh. That is a tough question right there. Ooh. I don't know if there's anyone right now. Before I would have said Cristiano Ronaldo, but the way Man United have been playing, no chance in that. Uh, it'll be as much stress as I'm going through right now with Sarri. Um, <laughs> you can choose the Cristiano Ronaldo of 10 years ago if you so wish. Oh, oh yeah, like you know, I I'd love to you know know what was going through his mind and his his come up, you know, um, because uh, his his story is amazing of where he came from and you know, um, his work ethic. I'd like you know pick his brain on what motivates him to have such a high work ethic like that. And he has got such good hair. That's the sickening part. Um, second one for you. If, if you could get one superpower, what would you choose and what would you do with it? Oh, one superpower. I've always wanted to fly. Um, I'll, just so that I could go from point A to point B. You know, growing up in London, I'm not a fan of traffic. So, uh yeah, I'd I'd love to fly so I could just go from point A to point B, no worries. I thought you were gonna say so you could dunk on Teo, but you know, <laughs> flight is in many different forms. <laughs> Here's the last one. You're, it's, it's your big three O this year. So if you get get a present, right, you could play your dad one on one on any court, anywhere. Where would you go? I would probably say. I would never have said this before, but because of this year, the Cameron, just, you know, I've been watching a lot of Duke stuff, about Coach K and stuff, and it's just iconic. I'd love to, you know, just step foot on that floor. Um, and also my dad's a big Coach K fan and Duke fan, so he'd be happy too. This is where I tell you I've scored a basket on that floor. It was kind of nice. No way. <laughs> oh, yes. It was very good. Um, I'll ask you one question before we finish. If you're playing your dad one-on-one, -on -one, who wins? Come on. No. No brainer there. He, he's not staying with me. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe. maybe. 20 years ago he had a chance but yeah he's got no chance now we had to get that on the record there we go I can hold that <laughs> against him next time I see him um, anyway Kellen, um always great talking to you um, let's hope for you you know, a few more wins for Surrey you can get you know, 
That'd be eight spot. You finish this career off on a high. If not, you just come back next season and do it all again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate it chatting to you. Thanks for joining us. That is it for this right. edition. You might also enjoy our recent shows with Ant Rowe and others. If you haven't already, subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. Just ask Alexa or Google to play MVP Cast. It's always great to hear from you as well. If you want to get in touch with me, find me on Twitter at Mark Bripple. Another edition coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, thank you so much as ever for listening. And it's goodbye.